And hello again, everybody. It is time for the two-man game right here on Klabes Online. I'm Bob Ramsey. That's my partner, Matt Rocchio. And uh, it's, uh, uh, it's intensity in the basketball world now between teams jockeying for position in the NBA to the Sweet 16 in college basketball and more. Rock, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Rammer. It just, you know, every time we, we come on here, I just wanna, I just can't wait to talk about basketball because every time, whether it's, you know, four days or two days or three days between our shows, just something happens in, in that time. If you're a basketball fan, you just can't you just can't help but get enough of it. So let's start locally in St. Louis and uh, and then we'll expand out. And the first thing is um, a mild surprise in the way it happened is uh, St. Louis University and I use the term loosely, uh, I was going to say redshirt, probably more technically, second-year freshman Jordan Nesbitt, who is a native St. Louisan, has elected to uh, uh, put himself into the NBA draft. And uh, Jay Nez is uh, – so if he follows through, would be leaving St. Louis University. Um, but it doesn't mean he's gone for sure – but it does open up a lot of options. Could he come back to SLU? Could he, could he enter later a transfer portal, look around for other things? And if he wants to be a pro, if it's time for him to not be in school, they play professional basketball, literally, folks, all over the world. And I believe, and I'm sure he believes, that somebody somewhere would be willing to pay him to play basketball. I, I said before this season, college season began, that uh, for any of you folks who are familiar with St. Louis University history, that he is the most or has the most talent of any player the Billikens have had since Larry Hughes. And I always caution to listen. I didn't say he was as good as Larry Hughes or the best player since Larry Hughes, but in his bag of tricks, in, in his collection of talents, he has the most of anybody we've seen. He can handle it. He can shoot it. He defends. He rebounds. He's a great athlete. Um, we didn't always see the production from him, Rock, but we saw glimpses of it this season. And that's the important thing because the the, the combination of the, the glimpses we saw with your talk about how they play basketball where they hand you a paycheck, a lot of places in this world, and specifically – the NBA pipeline has become a little bit more solidified in, in the ability to get drafted late in the second round or maybe even go undrafted and get a spot on a G League team, and then you're able to make some money, and you, there is a pipeline now to get to the NBA. Obviously, it was sped up a little bit this year because of the COVID protocols earlier this season. That's not always going to be there. But nonetheless, I think what that did was prove that this can be a useful thing for the NBA. I mean, it was already pretty much proven, but I mean, that was a great example of the jump that the NBA G League has made. And so maybe that thought process is there for Jordan Nesbitt, that he can go make a little bit of money um, or, or, or he can get his name out there and, and, a, and a scout's going to see him because – it is kind of taking a little bit of a shot. Like you said, when we did get to see him, we saw everything you mentioned. Scoring, shooting, handling the ball, passing, uh, defense, rebounding, intensity, those kind of things. We saw every bit of it, um, but we rarely saw it all together and for long stretches of time. And so he's obviously banking on the fact that those little spurts will, be, will, will jump out on tape. He's correct, they will. But as always, you have to look at the gross 
numbers of he started every game, played 25 minutes, scored just under nine points, but shot 39% from the field and shot 37% from deep and contributed about four rebounds and less than two assists. And so there's two different things that are obviously going to be, you know, or there's something that's going to be really, you know, his advantage and something that I think everyone's going to be able to kind of maybe take away from him. That doesn't mean he won't get drafted or good things won't happen to him. Like I said, that tape pops. Nonetheless, though, I do wonder if, just with how the NBA draft works right now, I would just put it at about a, I'm at about a 45% chance uh, that he goes to the NBA draft because just the ability to put your name in, get some really good information, and then return, pull back as long as you don't sign an agent, and then continue your college basketball career. Some people want to parse the wordings, uh, the wording that he used in his uh, statement today. My biggest problem with that is that if I was him, or if I was a guy who was going to into the NBA, I would also probably word mine the same way because I wouldn't want anybody in the NBA being able to during a draft interview or something like that being like, well, are you really committed to this? I want them, I want them to think I'm full on into it. And so I think parsing his statement like that is probably to people just looking too much into it. Just take the fact that he's a one year starter and he, he wasn't able and, and he didn't get a chance to play more than 30 minutes per game. And I think you can probably gauge a pretty good guess on, on how he's handling this situation. Yeah, and like I say, if I were going to try and rank what his options are, obviously if he could get drafted, that'd be one. If he could get in the G League, that'd be two. And then playing overseas would be three. And um, in the short period of time that I was around him, I really liked him. A great, just a fun personality, very enjoyable to be around. But to say I know him would be, well, just not true. Uh, I didn't have enough time to be around him um, to where you really know somebody. But my guess is it's a long shot to say he's going to want to go back and play in college. That's, that's my gut feel. And, uh, but certainly that option would be available to him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, that's the thing is if, even if he doesn't go to the NBA draft, there's a lot of different ways for him to continue his basketball career. We obviously, um, you know, hope the best for him. And really, if he finds a place, whether it be overseas, and he gets minutes and he's able to be, you know, the leading scorer on a team, heck, he's able to handle the ball and, and, and control parts of the offense, and he's able to succeed in that, those kind of people find their way back to the NBA. The NBA has a, have a, has a way of getting those guys back no matter where they end up playing because talent will play out above all. And Jordan Nesbitt has that level of talent, there's no doubt. One final thought on him from me. And that is, you know, we're always thinking, go back to the NBA, get back. We've known lots of players who have played a long, long time, a decade or more overseas, loved it, and made a ton of money. China, Australia, Italy, Spain, uh, Greece. There's a lot of great leagues. The one you haven't mentioned that, I, that maybe is the best example, we might be able to find some of our St. Louis guys to get Jordan in contact with Anthony Peeler, who's been playing for the same team in Germany for 17 years. How about that? And he loves it there. I think yeah. he, played, he's, he played his first couple of years in Israel in the Israeli league. He yep. met his wife. And then when he was like 25 or 26, got his first shot with his German team. And he's played there for like 17 years. He's 42. He's playing his last season right now. That's a life that I don't think any of us would scoff at. And then and, and take a look at just former Billikens, and you could almost pick any mid-major to major program and find guys. But look at Australia. 
uh, Kevin Lish has become an Australian. He played for their Olympic team, for God's sake. He was a league MVP over there. He and Brian Conklin and Jordan Jed and Cody Ellis, who's a native, um, all have done great things over in uh, in Australia. So there's a lot of different ways to go. Find places, someplace you like. Dwayne Evans, who was a big part of the Majerus uh, era success in Japan, uh, in a by, by reading his tweets and social media loves it there. So there's a lot of ways to go. And just because you don't make, don't get to the NBA doesn't mean you didn't have a great, don't have a great career or a failure. Uh, if you think that you're just wrong. Yeah, and, and now kind of looking at the bigger picture for St. Louis, uh, we've done a little bit of scholarship math here on the show. This this opens up one more, and I think this is right in line with when you think about Javante returning, if that happens, and the three uh, three guys they got coming in the freshman class or transfers in Sincere Parker, Nick Kramer, and Kellen yep. Thames. Yep. I think what you've been talking about, the backup – the and, and now with Rashad Williams um, in the transfer portal as well, I think right. we're about guaranteed to see a veteran guard come in here as a backup, you know, um, you know, pairing a guard with Yuri Collins. I think that would be perfect. And then if you look at the breakdown of the roster, that would just – I mean, with the with the young wings coming in slash veteran <clears throat> wings returning, the big man pairing you already got, I mean, it just it, – it's a bummer without a guy like Jordan Nesbitt. It, you do lose some of that excitement for next year because you'd hope he was going to grow. But, I mean, the, the, the idea now of getting in a veteran guard and guys like Kellen Thames having maybe some room to grow now in the wing, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, but – and here's two challenges as I see them. What you really need – is a guy who can give you 10 minutes a night as a very competent, solid, ball-handling point guard. But if you're that good, why do you want to come to a place you're only playing 10 minutes a night? It's a real conundrum because, and I'm being generous with the 10, you really only need a guy about five minutes a night. So I think finding that guy is going to be a challenge. Uh, and then what I would love to find is a true power forward or – and this is a big if because I don't know what the Billiken staff thinks. If you think Traore is uh, Basil Traore because he's got the feet for it, could he be a, a more of a power forward and get a true backup center? Yeah. Basically, basically uh, replacing Linson. Um, think, or if I go back in history, uh, 10 or 12 years, think of a Brian Conklin, 6'8, 240, rebounder, defender. Boy, if you could get those two pieces, having said that, the Billikens may not think that. They may think, no, 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 we're a four-out team. And the so-called four-man or traditional power forward is not really necessary for us. And so then you're saying, okay, you got Yuri to run it. You got uh, uh, Franco, Okoro in the middle. Now you got three other spots, and they're almost interchangeable. And I think, you know, you're looking at, Fred Thatch and TJ Hardgrove and, and Gibson Jimerson and Sincere Parker. And um, who am I leaving out? Um, but anyway, you got four or five guys TJ. there. I'm sorry. TJ. And TJ Hardgrove, who probably projects out of that group. He and he and Fred Thatch as undersized four men because you really – who are you going to yeah. guard? Uh, and, and so uh, – and then you got Kramer as another – two man. Um, so a point guard and another true forward, I think, um, would be a perfect fit. 
Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And to the forward point, uh, I don't think we mentioned it on Tuesday. I think it, I think it happened uh, early Wednesday or after, or later after we got off the air on Tuesday. Andrea Lorenzen also um, entered the transfer portal for for St. Louis as well. So there's another potential spot right there for that forward spot that you were talking about. I know I got to see a lot, a lot, um, a lot of Lorenzen in practice. He, he, he can shoot, and he's he sit, a legit six eight with long arms. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to think. No worse than a mid-major for him, where he probably walks in and plays right away, don't you? I, 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 Rammer, I got a feeling that next year you and I are going to be talking about a lot of a lot of Andre Lorenzen on some West Coast team that we're going to end up watching a lot, just it's randomly. Funny you, it's funny you said that. It's talking on radio in St. Louis today and talking about a mid-major, and I said, just look, look at a Santa Clara or somebody like that. I'm not saying he's going to Gonzaga or St. Mary's. But he could be a fit at St. Mary's. Oh, um, God, he could But be. one of those second-tier, you know, he could probably walk into almost anybody in the Ohio Valley and start right away, even on a on a uh, on the upper echelon teams. Um, and and probably on many of the Missouri Valley conference teams and maybe even Mountain West. But just put, you know, if A.J. Green leaves Northern Iowa, how'd you like to replace him with a, a 6'8 shooter? Right, man. That's I, a good point. I don't think there's going to be opportunities for Andre. I, I and I, I got to ask this just because if if we're so confident that he can that he can slide into a, a mid major on the West Coast and, and shoot pretty well, was there a missed opportunity for Travis Ford in St. Louis to incorporate him in maybe when the lineup got a little thin uh, in late non conference, early conference? Did they maybe miss a chance to get a guy minutes who that could have maybe solidified his spot here, given them another look and maybe kept him here for another year? I would say maybe, but, um, as the season wears on coaches like to shrink their rotation, not grow it. And, and, uh, the couple of the very few times he got to play earlier in the year, you could tell he wasn't quite ready. Uh, in, in my view, I agreed. A little skittish, sort of deer in the headlights is not fair. Um, but you could tell he just wasn't. There's, ready a, comfort- to be there's a comfortability factor when you when you yeah. have experience. That's the. I mean, I think it's the bottom line. And and so, but I I really think a lot of him as a player, and I think he's going to do really well. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, so let's uh, move on to, uh, to some basketball teams that are, that are obviously going to be in action tonight. We have the Sweet 16. The first half of the Sweet 16, in fact, is taking place tonight. In fact, I think this is going to be the more fun of the two nights because some of my favorite teams in the entire tournament are playing. Me too. Obviously, you have Gonzaga, Arkansas. That's going to be a blast. We're big Gonzaga fans here. We don't hide it. You got Chet, you got Chet Holmgren. I mean, that team is just Drew Timmy, uh, although his moving screens lately have been pissing me off because um, he's getting egregious with them. Uh, we can talk about that. And then Texas there's no Tech. Que- there's no question. Let, let's, let's just start okay. right yeah, there. Go for it. Let's start right there. That's one of the things that could upend Gonzaga in a game like tonight. Arkansas is one of the hottest teams in the country over the last month or so. Um, they want to score, too. And their athleticism could provide more problems than Gonzaga's seen recently. Um, and if there's some foul trouble, um, Arkansas could do some damage. Here's the other thing. Both teams want to score. This could be just for pure entertainment value. Maybe not the way a given any given coach would want to see it, but it could be an absolute shootout tonight. 
and I'd be completely okay with that. And and, and what, what I'm referring to, if people didn't uh, didn't get a chance to watch Gonzaga's uh, their last round game against Memphis, uh, as we're as we're talking about a former Memphis Tiger, we're going to be talking about some Memphis Grizzlies here in a little bit later. Um, Drew Timmy had a couple plays that were highlighted by the broadcast that were egregiously moving oh, yeah. screens, where he's just literally walking into guys and just taking away the chance to, to get, for them to defend it fairly. And so I hope, as much as I am a Gonzaga fan, I hope they, the, the refs are a little bit tighter on that whistle because uh, I love the pick and roll. I, I In fact, I think that picking in and, and off-ball screening is my favorite part and one of my things that makes basketball so damn beautiful. And I hate when big men cheat it like that because uh, it's unfair as all get out. Uh, it, it's cheap as hell. And it's it's so damn easy to call and make the game a little bit more fair. So I really hope that Gonzaga gets that call a little bit closer because this should be a classic, you know, 86-82 shootout of a basketball game, and I can't wait. Yeah, you know, the other part of that is the flip of, of defending the pick and roll and the thing that's became popular over the last, I don't know, what, dozen years, 15 years, the hard hedge, which also can get out of control and, and uh, be pretty egregious as a foul. So clean those things up, and you should have a, a really pretty good game. Look and then at I, – I, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, um, I, I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break. I'm not going to be switching from Arkansas and Gonzaga very much to Michigan Villanova. I'm not saying it's not going to be a good game. It's just I can't lock into that game as much as I can Texas Tech and Duke, which is the just, and then Houston and Arizona. I mean, this is potentially the last game we're ever going to see Coach K, um, you know, behind the sidelines for Duke or anybody else. That's it's monumental and it's kind of crazy. And it hit me earlier today. It's like, oh man, this could be the last time. I mean, we've been it's been you know coming the entire year. This is potentially the last time we see Coach K coach a game of basketball, and it's going to be against the best defensive team in the nation. He's got Paolo Bonchero. He's got a bunch of NBA stars. You know, kind of immovable rock. Uh, you know, unmovable object. You know, what what breaks first? This is going to be a fascinating game. In, in I guess what is uh, ostensibly game three of the night. Does how or how does emotion play into it? Does it put too much pressure on the kids at Duke? Do they even care about it anymore? Or can it galvanize them against that staunch defense? Can it galvanize them and say, we're not going to lose for Krzyzewski tonight? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you got to think that's that's going to galvanize them. And, hey, also, you know, guys like Paolo Banchero, that's, it's his last college basketball game potentially as well. You know, yeah. he's, off, he's off to the NBA. He's trying to, you know, make a, make a, you know, a big impact as, as potentially the number one overall pick coming up in the draft, you know, the, Showing out in the NCAA tournament still matters. In fact, it's, you know, Doug Ebert right now, I'd say, is the star of the tournament. So that 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 podium, that one shining moment, you know, center mm-hmm. stage is is ripe for the taking right now. And so that's a perfect time for Paulo Benchero. I don't think it's going to be him. In fact, uh, if I had to pick anybody, I think I'd be rolling with Arizona as, as the team that I think is going to keep on rolling. That game that they played was, I mean, the games they've been playing lately, this entire tournament – They've looked incredible. I mean, a little bit of a slip up, but I mean, they they just they put the foot down. That TCU game was a little bit weird, but Matheson, I, I mean, he right now even more so than Bonchero, more so than even Doug Ebert, unfortunately. Matheson right now is my player of the tournament. The guy that if he keeps this up and Arizona goes on a run, 
people are going to be lauding all over him. He's going to be the draft conversation is going to be him shooting yep. up from a mid twenties pick to a lottery pick. It's going to be that entire thing. He he's incredible. I love I love stocky guards that can shoot the that can shoot it and take it to the rim. And that's going to be Houston's biggest problem in the night. You know the thing is, it's funny. It's almost a pick them, and I think that shows that the line setters, the betters, and America experts really, really respect Texas Tech and their defense because the last line I saw was Tech by a point and a half. Now, that's virtually a pick em, but that shows the respect people have for Tech. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, Tech's, I've, I've had Tech in that. That was one of the ones that I thought was guaranteed in the Elite Eight. That number one overall defense going up against that number one overall offense in Gonzaga, I thought that was a give me because, again, huge, you know, Glitchy, streaky offenses that hit it big and consistent defenses are, are how you get through the tournament. And we saw it last year with Baylor. In fact, it's a great example. Baylor, great defensive team. Not only does that propel them through, but you talked about it as well when we were talking about Gonzaga. You play Gonzaga a little bit more physical, and that's how you get them off their game. We saw it from literally play number one. Baylor knocked them off their game completely in last year's championship game. Can uh, – can uh, why am I blanking on uh, who they play tonight? Um, <laughs> um, not not Houston because Houston's playing uh, Arizona. Can Arkansas both red jerseys um, oh. and A's? Can Arkansas bump them off? And if they survive Arkansas and Texas Tech survives Duke, can Gonzaga kind of get through that physical play in the Elite Eight? I hope that's what we get. Unfortunately, I think this might be the last game we we ever see Coach K uh, coach. But I think uh, the benefit will be seeing, I think, the best game in the tournament. Um, and, again, I think that Arizona is going to take down Houston. I like what I saw from Houston against the Illini, but I think that if that foul doesn't go that way, they don't make that comeback, I just think they're not as good as Arizona. And Mathurin, I don't know why I keep calling him Matheson. Um, I have it stuck in my head because I keep playing um, – uh, NHL 22 with the Senators, and they, have a, and they have a guy with that name, and I don't know why I'm playing NHL 22 with the Senators. That's a different problem that I have. Nonetheless, Mathurin for Arizona is going to lead them over Houston. Um, just a great – I mean, it's, it's the Sweet 16. We always get a good slate, but, I mean, I'm pretty excited about three or four. If you have any thoughts on Michigan-Villanova, I don't mean to be uh, mean to Jay Wright or the Maize and Blue, but I'm just not as excited about this game as I am the other three. Very, very casual. Um, Villanova, five-point favorite, and they should be, but – of all the games that, tonight that could be considered an upset, it, I guess, well, Gonzaga's nine and a half. I think that's too big. Gonzaga's nine and a half with Arkansas. Maybe that maybe that's just right, but it seems big. The five points, um, I would not be shocked if Michigan pulls the upset. I wouldn't bet them. I absolutely wouldn't bet them, but – I think they're they're I think they're really hot right now, and I think they're playing the right way right now. And um, Villanova will be the challenge. I think if Michigan mentally can survive some Villanova runs, I think they can go with them. If they're still in it, as we get four or five minutes into the second half, if they're still with them, I think Michigan is going to put the pressure on them, and then we'll see how it goes. 
if Villanova wins this game, I'm gonna start putting. I'm gonna have to start watching the lines on their Elite Eight and Final Four games because yeah, that they'll go from a team that I, I again I'm not paying enough attention to them, but it's Jay Wright. We know what he can do when he's got any sort of yeah. a team. Uh, they're kind of the silent assassin in this one. I can't wait for it. The big question, I think, is uh, we, we let's talk a little bit about Friday. Obviously, uh, the other the other half of the Sweet 16, which we're not gonna get to talk about tomorrow. The big question there is gonna be. Um, do you think St. Peter's can beat Purdue? Be the first 15 seed no. ever to move to the Elite Eight? A very quick no. 12 and a half uh, is the line right now between those teams. I hope it happens, but I'm with you. Jaden Ivey's just too damn good. Yeah, um, he's too good. They're too well coached. They're too deep. Uh, I think it ends here. It wouldn't bother me if St. Peter's won, but I, I just can't come up with a scenario by which they will. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Providence, Kansas is is the second game uh, of tomorrow. Uh, I'll say it right now. I don't want it to happen, but uh, KU is going to win this one, and I think, honestly, the 7.5 is a great number for them in that game. I, I, I think that one, if that was anything above 5.5, I'm taking it. I think, Can, I think Kansas has got Providence's number this year pretty easily. Yeah, I don't know if it will be easy. I really respect what Coach Cooley did with Providence this year. They were they were really good. Um I, it feels to me like a game where Providence could wear down. That just yeah. and not Kansas playing in a spectacular fashion, but just keep pounding and they just keep coming and they just keep coming. And I could see that it could be uh, a relatively close game until late, and that's where I think the spread would come in. So we get St. Peter's, we get Providence, and then, oh, we get two Blue Bloods playing against each other. Who wants that? North Carolina and UCLA. Ugh. That's not even 1975 anymore, Rammer. I'm not looking at that spread. What's that number? You two, have and a, two, two and a half. Uh, UCLA, obviously the four-seed favorite. So two Jump and a half, the, two and a half for UCLA. Take the Bruins at two and a half all day. Really? I think, I think they're going to destroy North Carolina. Ooh. Think a little bit. It was just kind of a, a a hot shooting night. Takes down the top team in the nation, and you just can't get the momentum going. I think no. I no. I think um, you know. I saw UCLA play Arizona twice, and they're almost as good. Even though they split in the regular season, UCLA when they're playing well, and that's always the thing. If you have an off night, it changes everything. That's why. That's why I don't bet. Uh, but the I, I think UCLA is going to roll them. I really do. Yep. Hey, it's 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 Johnny Juzang time. I mean, we, we know this is we, – we've seen him go absolutely scorched earth in a tournament right around this time before. And, you know, he's still leading that UCLA team. Experience uh, it usually helps you out in the tournament. That's been one of UCLA's problems over the last few years. They haven't had a lot of experience when they've gotten to the tournament. And so Johnny Juzang could probably be the – you know, kind of be the, the, the spark that really gets him through. I'm with you on that one. Uh, I, I wasn't going to be so – Confident with a two and a half, but you're, you're saying hammer it. I'm with you on this one. This is the one I'm really excited about tomorrow night. I wish it wasn't the late game. Nonetheless, Iowa State in Miami, um, the over-under. Oh, this is this this is what I'm going to look at here. Um, the over-under is 133. I say hammer the under on that one because I think this is a game where it's, you know, first to 65 wins, and I might be being generous. Roll up your sleeves. Uh, what was the Sly Stallone arm wrestling movie? Um, oh, um, to, you know, turn your hat, you turn, turn, yeah, turn your, yeah, turn your, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the damn movie, but I can remember that he turns his hat backwards. That's, that's what's going to happen. God, what is that movie? I got to look that up. Damn it. Slice the low. Over the top? Is yes, it over yes, the- over the top. That's what it is. 
practically unwatchable, yet we both remember the turning of the hat. But it's, yeah, that's that, a better I, reference. I, that's boy. I had said openly, of course, tree in the forest, nobody heard me, but I just didn't think Iowa State belonged in the tournament, and they just they just shut my mouth. Um, and in a one-year turnaround that I think is the best in college basketball history. Yeah, 2-22. Two 2-22 and 22. Two and 22 now into the Sweet 16 with a pretty good shot of going all the way to the Elite Eight. That's can, one hell of a turnaround. You could make arguments as this team grew with the season and in the Big Ten – I'm sorry, Big 12. They played in that – the top half of that conference is tough. But even in losses, you could see things getting a little bit better, a little bit better. You know, and so for a team that only won two games a year before, to have to grind, you know, with with Kansas and TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech, and you say, well, no wonder. And you say, well, are they really good enough? We're seeing that that sort of uh, uh, that sort of steel hardened them. You know what I mean? Forge steel. And I uh, I think I, I kind of like the role they're on for Miami now. Miami, look at the job they've done defensively. If I told you this was going to be a 51-49 game, would you blink an eye? No, not at all. Not at all. That's why you should hammer the 133 under. Yep. No, no question. <laughs> Again, Vegas, Vegas, is, Vegas is smarter than me, but I, I can't I can't figure that one out. By the way, as we as we finish up talking about the Sweet 16, that's uh, so we'll, next time we converge. Obviously, we'll be talking about a Final Four. Uh, yeah. It seems most most of the ways we're going chalk here, so that should be um, fun to watch. But maybe maybe a little bit anticlimactic if you're if you're a big upset guy in the tournaments. I'm still hoping for St. Peter's. Um, I'm not I'm not as down on them as Bob is. Um, but anyhow, talking about <laughs> hey, I'm just... you... let's move to the next topic. This is the topic. I got no answer for you. All right. What the hell is going on in Miami? There you go. Um, I have no idea. Uh, apparently, Jimmy Butler uh, was a little bit angry. Uh, <laughs> Spolstra joked in the press conference afterward that they were just trying to figure out the dinner order. Uh, I think it was probably a little bit more heated than that. Uh, they're having a rough game against a team that they shouldn't lose against, which is a, a beat-up warrior squad. And I just mm-hmm. think things kind of went over uh, – the Heat have been playing really well over the last couple of weeks, so I'm not sure exactly what the issue is. But he had an okay game. He had okay game last night, right? Yeah, he had a fine game last night, and so yeah. I'm not really sure what the the impetus was. Jimmy Butler's, you know, a hard-headed guy. We we heard we've heard the the stories from his time in Minnesota, from his time you know, late in Chicago, from Chicago. his time uh, his little bit uh, there in Philadelphia. We heard. You know, he can be a contentious guy. I think the fact that Udonis Haslam is both a player and kind of a coach and kind of has a foot in each camp, I have a feeling probably sparked it. He, him and him and Jimmy probably went back and forth, and then I think Spolstra probably got a, a little ignited just because he's been there forever, and you're not going to you're not gonna talk too much shit to Eric Spolstra. I mean, he's got a lot of rings, and he's dealt with a lot of superstars before. Uh, so Spolstra's not going to take anything from Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler, we know, he's a stubborn SOB. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna talk when he wants to. You got a couple of you're you're in a timeout. You got a couple of guys bickering. You can let it go, all right. But, but at some point, I can see where a coach goes. Hey, I'm trying to win a game. That's enough. Yeah. And then somebody barks at him. Says, "Wait a minute, I'm the coach here." And um, I I can see how those things will happen when people get in the heat of the moment. 
and aren't thinking straight. Yeah, that's, then that, that's that that's clearly what happened. And again, they shouldn't have lost. They shouldn't be losing games like that to a depleted Warrior squad. But no, I mean the Heat. The Heat aren't the team in the East that. I expect to be having kind of these sideline, you know, screaming matches right now. For me, that team is the Chicago Bulls. When we talked about the East standings completely changing um, from when we talked by the end of the year, I didn't think the Bulls would fall so precipitously the way they have. But really, since the turn of the new year, they've been a completely different team in about the worst possible way. They and the they and the Heat have gone completely different ways in the standings. The Heat are still sitting at the top of the Eastern Conference, uh, a game and a half ahead of the 76ers. The Bulls have fallen down four and a half games behind them. So not a huge one, but nonetheless, we're talking about a, a, a fall from one to five when they were tied up there when we talked last time. And there's been injuries. They haven't had uh, Lonzo Ball the entire time, but they've had DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine pretty much since that entire stretch. And the defense hasn't reached the level that it was the first couple months of the season. And... DeRozan's had just a little bit a slip in his his percentages, and the problem with his game is if his percentage slips a little bit, his efficiency drops kind of exponentially along with it, and that's been a big problem with the Bulls right now. They need to stabilize their their game a little bit. With Miami, couple stumbles last two nights, um, the Bulls slipping out. I didn't think I'd see it at the top. You sort of caught it, but maybe not this way when we talked a couple of months ago. But now you've got four teams at the top within a game and a half of each other. Four yeah. teams. Yeah. It's, it's pretty insane. And We really... thought the middle would flip, but the top is so tight, it could be any of those four. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me that, you know, one of them is the, the 76ers who made a big move, obviously, to go get James Harden, and now it's Tyrese Maxey that's stepping up for them. And another one is the Boston Celtics, who didn't make any big moves, but just kind of let their plan cook, and it finally started breaking their way. And then you have the Bucks and the Heat, who have been building, obviously, championship-level rosters, and in one case, a championship-winning roster um, for multiple seasons now. So it's just interesting to see the two different kinds of squads up there uh, in the East. Uh, we're running a little long here today, so I, I, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. And that's, and that's what's going on in the West because we haven't talked a lot about the Phoenix Suns because they, they've, they've been so damn good that mm -hmm. there hasn't really been any controversy. But uh, Chris Paul's returning tonight after missing 15 games, and – what I saw across his 15-game stretch was a Devin Booker performance that solidified his MVP candidacy. Because when you are, and this has been a back-and-forth conversation with a lot of people in the NBA and with a lot of people inside my, my apartment, who is the MVP <laughs> of the Phoenix Suns? Um, and my, I've, been, I've had the opinion that ever since the bubble, it has been Devin Booker. And even when Chris Paul got here last year and let, helped take them to a finals, it was still Devin Booker. And there was a lot of reasons people said I was wrong, and there was a lot of good reasons people said I was wrong. But I think this year has proven that Devin Booker is not only the most important player on the Suns, but he is an MVP candidate in the NBA. Since the new year, 29-4-3. and three. Over the last 15 games, it's 27, 6, and 5. When Chris Paul goes out, he just he takes more possessions, he gets more assists, his turnovers aren't jumping, his scoring comes down a little bit. And when Chris Paul's in the game and he doesn't have to take a, as much 
emphasis, his scoring goes up, his efficiency goes up, and yeah, his assists go down because he's not carrying the ball as much. The bottom line is no matter what role Devin Booker's put into, his numbers go up, he thrives, and the Suns keep winning games. Sounds a lot like an MVP candidate to me. It sure does. And the NBA is about the stars. But Chris Paul was out, would you say, 16 games? I think it was 15. In the last 10, the Grizzlies have gone seven and three. They've won two in a row and lost ground. Yeah, that's a good way to put that's it. That's how good Phoenix is. Yep, that's a good way to put it. And it ju- and you know what? The, the Grizzlies last night just hit their 50-win mark. The Suns had the longest stretch of being the only 50-win team in the NBA in 30 years. Wow. That includes Great the number. 72 that includes the 72 win Bulls and the 73 win Warriors. And obviously that you know that stat to work it means that the rest of the team isn't there but the, the gap between the Suns and every other team in the NBA is bigger than the gap between the Bulls when they won 72 and the Warriors when they won 73. That's an wow. incredible stat and number when you think about it. And Devin Booker has been a huge part of it. Uh, the Suns have been incredible. They played the uh, Timberwolves last night. In fact, another team we talked about that was a great example um, of a team that just they, – I mean, they can't – the Timberwolves just can't solidify it. Carl Anthony Towns does something great, and then in the next game – DeAndre Ayton has his career high 35 against him. Um, so the Timberwolves, God, they, they bothered me. But it was a great it was a great way to watch a team that we talked about once in an aggravating way to talk yeah. about a team that I, we don't talk about nearly enough for how great they have been this season. The Phoenix Suns are amazing. They play the best basketball in the NBA, and it shows up in the win column. And Devin Booker is, is the reason for that. And if he's not top three MVP alongside, I think – I think it's probably Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and then Devin Booker if I had to rank my MVPs right now. Very nice. Where's John Morant? Right, the next guy? And, and he and you know I think he'd be fourth only because you know kind of like a, a Chris Paul thing, but there hasn't been somebody like Devin Booker who's taken it all on him, which is John Morant got hurt and the Grizzlies kept winning. And so clearly he's very important to that team. But, you know, with his numbers coming down, him not dominating games as much, him going out with an injury, it's just I think it's reasonable that he kind of, you know, falls down from, I think, top three to maybe just fourth. So when we reconvene early in the week, we'll have a final four. Um, We'll see if any of the NBA standings clear up. We'll see if there's any more bickering in Miami. And uh, we'll get it all set. We'll recap recap the weekend through the Elite Eight. I know there's going to be some great games and some great stories. If I had to guess, yes, yes, no, yes. <laughs> okay, there's the Matt Rocchio crystal ball. Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey, I was right about Golden State getting the win in Miami. I told you, they, they stayed in Orlando the night before, and look what they did to Miami. They were locked in. Miami expected them to be hung over, and they were, they were in for that game. I told you. It was weird, though, wearing the Mickey Mouse ears. That was yeah. very strange. That's Matt Rocky. I'm Bob Ramsey for the two-man game right here on Claves Online. St. Louis Acura is the only Acura dealer in the nation to win the Precision Team Award for 30 years. How do we do it? By making you, our customers, our number one priority. As others increase their fees and take advantage of limited inventory, we keep our prices low because we remain committed to becoming better than ever and treating you as we want to be treated. We want you coming back and sending your friends and family to a veteran-owned, family-based business you can trust. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.